<laughs> Is your face cold? Is my face cold? Yeah. Oh, I shaved again. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to go this light on the beard, but I fucked up when I was doing the top of my head and skimmed it so I had like a, a weird line. I was like, fine, I'll bring it down. It'll grow back. Yeah. Oh. But I knew this. That was sad. <laughs> I was still was sadder. Sad. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presented mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the badass bitch drinking the beer. The Kristen Bloom. <laughs> I am. Well, I haven't. I haven't drank it yet. So there's just a beer sitting in front of me. So now you're a liar. <laughs> I said badass bitch with a beer. I thought you said drink. You said drinking a beer. I might have said drinking. You said beer. so. You're a liar. <laughs> I drank some of my beer. So, from henceforth, don't trust Brett's advice. Don't, but do trust my opinion on what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> I don't, because you said it was better than The Gunslinger. The, the book was. No, that's not true either. <laughs> what did I say was better than The Gunslinger? What we're here to talk about today. What we're here to talk about today? Yeah. 2020's The Stand? Yeah. Fuck yeah. You said, uh... I must have hammered. You said he should have skipped The Dark Tower and just put more energy into The Stand. Into the TV show? I think into it in general. We were talking about it while we were watching it, and you were like, the stand is the gunslinger. You should have oh. just not done the gunslinger. Oh, I was also on an edible. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, blasphemous, sir. Blasphemous. I am quite, en- we'll get to the, the stand here in a minute, but I am quite enjoying the audiobooks of The Dark Tower. I'm on the third one now. I, I still say number two is my favorite so far, but I'm pretty shallow. Um, Field. I'm not very far along the tower, but I, I did like the second one a lot. But nice. third one's third one opens with a really weird monster. Because like the monsters in the second one are strange. It's got these things called lobstrosities. King strange. Giant lobsters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the third one opens. There's a massive bear. Like I think it's like a 16 foot tall bear. It's just abnormally huge with a satellite growing out of the side of its head. If I'm following <laughs> exactly what the fuck's going on, and so. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to like it going forward. The lobsters were weird. The bear's weirder. We'll see where it goes, but I'm enjoying it for now. You can't not do your cocaine. Can't not do all your cocaine. <laughs> but, I'm glad you're enjoying it, though. Yeah. I might, like, legit revisit it. I read it when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I think the third one was where I stopped. So, I don't know. I might, since you're actually enjoying it, like, revisit it myself. Yeah. Doing maybe them, finish it. Doing them as audiobooks. Uh, I may get physical copies of them if I do enjoy it, simply so I can have the second one. But you can't just have the second one in a series. If you're going to buy a series, you have to own the I series. I can't do audiobooks. Like, I don't... Um, I don't know why. For some reason, if all I have is the audio input, I don't typically retain the information as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't mind, like, podcasts, because podcasts are just kind of educating you on a topic more than, like, giving you a full narrative. Yeah. But, like... I don't know, even as a kid, I would have to, like, read stuff out loud to myself sometimes to, like, really help sink it in. Mm-hmm. And, like, just having someone else read it to me, like, my mind wanders off too easily. Yeah. I've had that problem, and then you got to go back and scroll. But it's, to me, it's similar to if, like, you're kind of distracted while you're reading a physical book, and you're like, I don't remember the past three pages, and you got to go back and redo those. The biggest pain in the ass that I've found now that I'm doing the audiobooks on the regular is... Um, because it's not a physical copy, like I do a lot of reading, not a lot of reading at work, but I read on my lunch break, so I guarantee myself 
30 minutes a day for at least those four days. And uh, right now I'm reading a book called I'm Dying Up Here about the stand-up comedy boom. And there's a lot of information. So I can flip back if there's a reference to something in chapter two. I can kind of like fly back to back when that was going on, refresh myself, then jump into where mm -hmm. I'm at in the narrative if I were to get lost. And you can't do that with audiobooks. I can't quote anything in an audiobook, you know? And I know... I know it's better for the trees. But there's no way in hell I'm reading the stand front to back the first time through. <laughs> I know it's better for the trees to do um, Kindles and stuff like that. I mean, materials get wasted inventing plastics for, like, Kindles and mm -hmm. iPads and stuff like that, so it's not completely waste-free, but, I mean... I get it's less paper to do it that way, but I don't know. I'm, like, really yeah. old-fashioned If you read 100 that. books on a Kindle, you have not consumed 100 physical copies. Yeah, but I'm, like, really old-fashioned in that I like having the tangible, yeah. like, book. I like having the page to flip. It's so. the biggest pain in the ass when we moved is my vast library. <laughs> you know, I think it's all inside the apartment now. <laughs> but uh, it took fucking forever to load up and then move over. Um, until Kristen got the desk, I was running out of space to put all of the books. You still have to organize it. Yeah. And I'm afraid of getting rid of copies in like a hoarder type way, where it's like there's books that I'm never going to read again. Books that I didn't buy and have never read that are up in the library that came out of like my dad's library. It's like one day I might want to read about the life and times of General Patton, but I don't know when that's going to happen for me. <laughs> if I'd never read it at all, I might keep it. If I read it and I wasn't particularly interested in it, I would probably get rid of it. Yeah. That would be my personal approach. I may do that when it comes time to thin the books out before our next move because I've run into a few. There's, But then again, it's like, was I just not ready? And maybe it'll speak to me later. Like, I tried to do The Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs because it's legendary. And I hated it. I couldn't mm -hmm. fucking do it. Like, I made it a few chapters in and I tapped. And so maybe in the future, I'll be like, well, maybe I'm in the right mind space to understand Naked Lunch. But right now, it's like that Mark Norman joke about Beefheart where it's like, I just have no fucking idea what <laughs> he's going for. Up. Just trying to catch up. A lot of my books are like <coughs> reference textbooks type books, though. So a lot of my books are books. I keep in general where it's like, in case I have a question, I yeah. can go back and reference that book. Yeah. So, I do yeah. that with a lot of my religious books. Like I carry the Bhagavad Gita with me uh, just about everywhere. I've not read beyond the first <clears> chapter. <throat> that little intro, intro thing where he's explaining, and it's kind of like reading the first you know, book of the Bible, the Genesis, where it's just like, and then this was the father of this, who was the king of this, and then they all died in this year. So I carry it with me because I might crack into it past that chapter if I find a better translation I might you know compare the two translations I've got a copy of the Quran I've never read past the first book of but in the event that I ever want to deep dive that way but most of my reference books I think I've read pretty much front to back but my writing ones aren't like technical yeah. books like yours I definitely haven't read mine front to back. Some of them are pretty fucking thick. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't need that right now. The one that I've definitely not read front to back, but I like to use excerpts out of, is the uh, writing about writing that I've got up there. Yeah. It's one of those things where they tell you to always keep it. Like, I still have my original um, 
What's the... Keep my MLA like a motherfucker. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. That one up top is mine, the little burgundy-colored one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bought that, I think, my freshman year of college when I was, like, 18. It's, so, like, the first time I went. Yeah. And they were like, don't ever get rid of this. I'm like, don't they ever update it, though? <laughs> like, am I not at some point going to go, I should probably get the newer get copy? Get the new copy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got uh, my mom's collegiate dictionary. There's <laughs> the whole worlds that are not in that dictionary. <laughs> I just like the way it looks. It's the old Harbinger's. It's fun to have. Yeah. One day, uh, our kids are going to look at these and be like, what the fuck is this? What is wrong with my father? <laughs> <laughs> Why does he have three copies of On Writing for different significances? <laughs> or two copies of all the books we keep reading together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you own two? Because we both wanted to read we it. We wanted to read it, and now we felt like he needed two copies of What Dreams May Come. Just in case we were like, hey, how sexist was the 70s? And you, this is how sexist the 70s were. We should find a... Uh... Well, I don't know. You probably... I'm, I'm looking for Christine. I'm trying to find Christine out in the wild, and fucking Barnes & Noble's not hooking me up. And so you probably underline stuff, and I probably underline different stuff, but I feel like we should, like, find one of those book charities and donate one of our copies. Yeah. And just have them mindfuck. It's like, who... Who is this involved in the I should, plot? I should flip through my book and underline the sections I underlined in your book because you probably underlined way more than I did, and then we'll donate my book. And then <laughs> your copy will have both of the sections both we the underlined. Notes. That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be fun. I want to just have like a whole other series. These are the ones with all of the knowledge. Because <laughs> we're going to go through um, the War of Art again. And I was kind of flipping through and looking at some of the things that I highlighted. And back when I read that one initially, I used to use like an actual highlighter. Now I just underline things or like block off paragraphs. It's easier for sure. To do it with a pen. Yeah, because my old books, like my textbooks I originally got, I would go through and highlight. And like I didn't like the fact that a traditional highlighter would bleed through the page. Yeah, bleed through. Or in this case, it it faded to the point where it's like you can hardly see what I highlighted. Mm -hmm. Like 10 years ago. Yeah, I started using gel highlighters, but the gel highlighters, because of the way they're made, they don't bleed through, but they don't dry as fast, so then I'd have to sit there and wait for it to dry. (laughs) Or, like, tap it with, like, a piece of paper to try to get it to dry, because if you close it too early, it bleeds onto the other page it's touching, and I'm like, ah! It's like, and now I'm highlighting random shit on a page that I didn't give a fuck about. (laughs) So it's just not effective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the pens are easier. (coughs) God damn, I'm sorry, guys. I got something going on with my nose this past couple of weeks. Some nasal spray. I might need to after the show, but I feel like my whole right side is clogged up. I'm getting a lot of drainage. The weather's going up and down, and there's some more information you didn't need to know about. But now I'm about you know. to jump into a whole different climate here in another week. Yeah, it's going to be 70 degrees right now. It's like 45. Then it'll probably go back down to 45. And then I was back up to Tennessee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be like 80 over there. <laughs> that's going to fuck me up. I get on the airplane in a fucking jacket because we got to, you know, board that shit early as fuck in Montana. Or no, here. Come... We're boarding at uh, 1.30 in the afternoon. Oh, so we'll it's, be fine. Yeah, it's in Nashville that we're boarding at like 4 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like in a tank top at 4 in the morning in Nashville as opposed to like crawling around looking for warmth in Montana. <laughs> um, speaking of which, though, since it got brought up... Um, probably not going to record while we're gone we're gonna be gone for a little over a week so there'll probably be about a two-week stretch where there's not a podcast but we'll be back all about (laughs) good to hear all about our vacation and brett's gonna be older i'm gonna be a year older technically i'll be 31 gonna have a birthday yay (laughs) 
We're keeping the tradition alive, though, of traveling for your birthday. That's that, fun. That works. Now it'll be. Like, oh, you enjoyed Flathead. Don't act like it no. wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> you jerk. I loved Flathead. And I'm going to like the trip back home, too. I'm just fucking around. I get to see some friends and stuff. Um, but yep, I'll be 31 years old, and that Did doesn't you? mean anything to me Wiser. at all. No. Yeah. If anything, dumber. <laughs> like my brain is deteriorating. It's slowly falling away from me. <laughs> I put too much into the brain, and then I put too much alcohol on top of it, and it melted the knowledge. No, it's just one big sad. Sad. Mesh. Alcoholic. Sad fatty mesh liver. Of <laughs> <laughs> Useless knowledge. <laughs> but we came here with intentions to talk I do about a lot things. of. That guy's name starts with a B, and that's pretty much how I live my life. But we did come here with good intentions. We came here today to discuss The Stand. Not the novel, which I did as an audiobook and thoroughly enjoyed, except for the last 300 pages. And the minutes. And the minutes. <laughs> and not the original 1994 miniseries, which I guess has disappeared from the face of the planet. I'm telling you, in an alternate universe, there was a movie. <laughs> it was a two-disc movie. And... At some point, we switched timelines, and now it's a miniseries. No, it's always been a miniseries. No, it was a movie. And it's got Lieutenant Dan in it. And that's not the one that we're here to talk about. Because <laughs> I can't find that one anywhere. We're here to talk about... And I, I use this word very rarely. Uh, the, the... The alleyway coat hanger abortion that is 2020's The Stand. Oh, come on. You've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. Only because I've read the, or listened to the novel so recently. And so that's, I think, going to be you know a key component. If you're brand new to the storyline of The Stand and all you know is there's a pandemic and people are going to survive, you're not going to get the full experience watching this version at all. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. The very first thing that needs to be addressed because they ruined my favorite character in the entirety of the book, my beloved trash can man. Yeah, I don't know. Um, which they introduce him so late and there's so little context that probably didn't help. But I think for me, the biggest problem is the casting. I just mm-hmm. don't... I'm sure he's lovely in other things. I don't. He was like... in Perks of Being a Wallflower. He was in a couple of. You was know, he? Yep. He was oh. in a couple of different things. I had to Google it because his makeup effects and stuff made him completely unrecognizable. But... Yeah, he's just not good in this movie. Which I no. mean, to be fair, um, there was probably some direction on how the character Jacks knock it off, dude. There was probably some direction on how the character behaves. So he was probably mm-hmm. told to do some of that stuff, but I just. Not well done. It's not well done. Yeah, and I'm going to compare him to a different character a little bit later in the conversation. I'm sorry, guys. It's a beautiful day. The wind is a-blowing. There's people uh, outside that seem to just want to talk out there. Um, There's an argument to be made that his representation is that of the early version of Trash. Because you get a lot more of Trash in the novel itself. He's blowing up these things. You get all of his childhood. He, like, grew up in a mental asylum. Should we close those, I'm maybe? Gonna, yeah, yeah. that's starting to drive it. And we're back. We're back with closed windows, and those kids are gone. <laughs> um, but, anyway, as I was saying, um, in the novel, there's a lot more development of his character. 
we learned that like he partially grew up in an asylum because he was a young arsonist and he was lighting the trash cans on fire burned up a lady's social security checks um was a genuine outcast was bullied blah 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 and none of that is in this representation at the beginning of meeting trash he is kind of this feral freaked out mentally ill schizophrenic um but as he gets closer to the desert his thoughts seem to you know become more linear and he seems capable of reasoning which is something i really enjoyed about his representation in the novel because it showed that the closer he got to the dark man um mr randall flag who i'm going to talk about next but the closer he got to flag um the more sane he seemed to be like the closer he got to the insanity the better he was able to unpack his own mind and in this one he just shows up basically facilitates the end of the series and that's it like there's no development we don't get to see his interactions we don't get to see much if any of pre-pandemic trash and how he was treated by that community which would be why he so desperately wants to be accepted by the Vegas community despite everything that's going on. I mean, we get his drive for destruction, but we only really see the tankers explode. We don't get any of his other interactions where he's running through the desert trying to find these hidden weapon stashes in Nevada. And I feel like that that robs us of my favorite dude from the book. Why is he your favorite dude? Just because... He's chaotic. He's he's chaotic in the book, but relatable, like, in certain ways. Like, he is insane in the book, for sure. And he has done some terrible things in the book, you know, ultimately ending the Vegas settlement. (laughs) But when he goes out on his mission for the bomb, um, he's doing it because he's somebody pissed him off in the like his military outfit that he was doing and they made him feel like the outsider that he felt like pre-pandemic so he has this mental snap and he plants bombs in all of these vehicles he kills one or two guys pisses off Randall Flagg and so he's going to get the bomb to come back into the community like he's like if I can just go get this bomb then everything's going to be okay. They'll accept me back into the Vegas thing. They're going to take the bomb. I'm going to be heralded as a hero. You know, like he's, I don't, I cease to call him an anti-hero. But what I want to talk about later is he's kind of their camp's version of Tom Cullen in the novel. Yeah. And in this one, he shows up as an outcast. He's treated like an outcast. He goes and gets the bomb and that's it. It also weirdly makes Flag seem more human mm-hmm. than it's his idea because it makes it feel like he's not capable of dealing with the people himself. Like yeah. we act like he's this supernatural, terrifying being, but then he needs a human to go get a bomb yep. so that he can go blow up a town and it makes him just seem weak. That's one of the things that I want to talk about with Flag. So we can kind of keep in the same vein here. Um, in the novel, Flag is a fascist bent on order. So you've got New Vegas, but he crucifies a guy for drug use. Like, he's trying to build a fascistic takeover. In the miniseries, 
they do drugs and sex all day yeah, long. Yeah, it's just debauchery. And so I read an article in Screen Rant today um, that kind of pointed it out. They pulled the teeth out of Randall Flagg because he's not in control of every single step that's going on like he is in the novel. They've made him some sort of demigod who may or may not have started the pandemic. Where in the novel, he's more of an opportunist. He's this evil being of sorts who sees a bad situation and takes advantage of it. Yeah. So by turning his New Vegas into this debauchery, you've kind of proven the point of the Randall flag that was crucifying people for drug use in the novel. <laughs> he goes, no, no, it has to be complete and absolute order or things are going to get out of control. And he was right. Because in this, things went out of control because there was no real sense of order. Yeah. If the, am I making sense? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. The If we're equating flag with the devil, the community in general just seems kind of odd because... I don't know, like, you view, I think, stereotypically in religious history, like, the devil and, like, hell mm-hmm. and all of that is just being, like, supreme torture. And granted, they do kind of passively establish that um, if you come willingly, you get to be a citizen. Yeah. And if you uh, are captured, you're basically a prisoner that either gets killed or has to, like, fight to death or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, it, it seems weird because you would think... Um, I mean, Mother Abigail doesn't really truly lead their community either, but she establishes a sense of order. Mm-hmm. And you would think if he was this, like, all-powerful being, he would want some sense of, like, control or, yeah. like, establishment that, like, serves his purpose. Because the only thing we supposedly get is that they're afraid of him, and we never really establish a reason for them to be afraid of yeah, him. Yeah, because we he... don't get to witness any of the executions. Yeah. We don't see the crucifixion. Cruci- Crucifications. Is that is that the right yeah. way? Yeah. Crucifixions, not crucifications. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, but but also, like they kind of run amok. Like they do the trial thing where he shoots um, the former teacher guy, Glenn. Is, yeah, Glenn. Um, and they're just kind of it's it's very like a circus. They're just kind of yeah. off doing their own thing, and then they're like, "Oh shit, I don't really know what he wanted us to do." And they're yeah. like freaking out that they killed him, and like. Were we not supposed to kill him? And it's like, does he do anything besides hang out in his penthouse? He just levitates. That's he all Randall just does. He hangs out in his penthouse, and that's it. And he just lets chaos ensue with, like, absolute no order over the entire situation. So because he doesn't have this control, I don't feel like Trash is afraid of him. I can't even remember if they established that Trash attacked the military compound that he was trying to set up so he literally just goes out to get the bomb that's it yeah yeah he's not doing it as like a type of um recompense if i'm saying that word right now i'm I'm all flustered (laughs) (laughs) too many children playing and having fun yeah no i just felt like i was on a roll and then that threw me off and now i'm sad um but yeah it doesn't come out as like a kind of um Penance. I'm yeah, penance. Like I'm afraid of my God. Let me go bring a token back to the compound. Uh, instead, we see him basically ordered to go get the nuke. Then he comes back with the nuke, and the dude's surprised that the schizophrenic doesn't know shit about gamma radiation. Well, he told him he was <laughs> supposed to take it to a plane, I guess, but we don't really see that. He 
I think we only really see him telling him to go get it. And then he's mm-hmm. telling the crowd, oh, we're going to put it on a plane. And then he shows up and he's like, no, you were supposed to take it to the plane. Yeah, you were supposed to bring the whole warhead, not just the fucking nuclear device. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, what does that sound? It's Jack's drinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's... Like, even with Nadine um, killing herself, like, it seems like he didn't have the slightest bit of control over the situation. She, like, hops right off the bed, and then she's like, and out the window I go. Yeah. And it's like, if you can fly, can you not <clears throat> suspend her fall or yeah. go get her or anything? Which like, I had to do a quick Google, because I was like, I don't think that's how she dies. And I was telling you the whole time, I was like, no, she doesn't kill herself. Like, there, there, no way. And then I thought maybe I'd conflated a couple of events from the novel. In the novel, she doesn't commit suicide. She pisses him off because she's, like, refusing the baby or something like that. I can't quite remember the exact details. And in a rage, he flips out and murders her. And so then she's fl- not pregnant? Yeah. No, she's pregnant. But, like, she drives him into a rage and he murders the mother of his child. Fucks her up. Flings her body all around the room using his fucking psychosis. Lloyd's, like, just outside listening to him beat a dead woman's corpse. Like, so it's, again... So he kills his own baby? Yeah. So it's a loss of control at his point that gradually leads to the bomb coming into town. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Instead of her just going, well, I'm out of here. Whee! Yeah. And, like, I feel like if he's got all these powers, like, if he can turn into animals or turn into some weird demon thing mm-hmm. or levitate like could he have not been like and eh, just kidding come back now up you're here. over here yeah yeah he kills her in a rage in the novel which makes a lot more sense because now we know he is capable of losing his temper and he cries when she jumps out the window and that just doesn't feel like yeah. i'm like i don't feel I don't like think the would... devil cries yeah i'm like i don't feel like he <laughs> what, would cry what did i tell you i was like dude don't cry just go fuck that chick like yeah. you're just trying to get a baby <laughs> she needed to be a virgin that chick's probably not a virgin. <laughs> um, I, I do want to eventually get to pacing, but before we get too far away from these two characters, um, I didn't think of it as I was watching it, but I read a bunch of different articles trying to prepare for this. And an uh, interesting point was brought up when comparing M-O-O-N, that spells Tom Cullen, <laughs> to the trash can man. Uh-huh. Um, we see a portrayal that could be problematic, uh, definitely, you know, if not done correctly, could be very problematic. That Tom is And Tom needs. is mentally disabled, and as the Doug Stanhope joke, mentally disturbed, the trash can. Um, I loved the guy who played Tom Cullen. Uh, his name is Brad William. Uh, Henke? Hen- Henke? I really good performance. Brilliant performance. Uh, played it just to the exact level to where I've got a friend of mine, you know, that swings by the shelter from time to time, who has, like, low cognitive functioning, acts a lot like the Tom that's presented to us here. Uh, that would have been a normal... I mean, in the book, he's referred to as retarded, which is not a word that in 2020 we really play with. Um, depending on how they could have played that character could have been very problematic. But the he same, calls himself handy-abled. Yeah, handy-capable. Oh, yeah. 
And then with trash, we have a representation of mental illness and the schizophrenic character. And I feel like we do a disservice to his character by turning him into this howling, screaming. Yeah, I think he sounds like a bird just screeching. Yeah, like I don't think that we get the same respect paid to that side of the spectrum. Which there are, to be fair, um, mentally disturbed people that are themselves not highly cognitive functioning, so... Yeah, I know. We have a massive um, homeless issue in Missoula. And so people that have more extreme versions of specific disorders, I guess, might potentially act that way, but I... I think someone that we're representing acting that way probably wouldn't successfully go get the bomb and bring it all the way back. I feel like they'd get sidetracked or lost or Mm -hmm. confused or... So it does seem weird to make that particular character like that far He's good at blowing stuff up. And that plays into his mental illness perfectly. But having the cognitive function to be able to go out and collect the bomb. And find his way back. Because it's not like he's got a GPS. Like, he's, like, driving himself back, and as he's driving himself back, he's getting sicker because of the radiation poisoning. So, like, yeah, you'd think you would have started him off a bit more stable. Yeah. So that that journey would be a bit more believable. And that's kind of what happens to him. And they put him in dirty underwear. He's just wearing dirty underwear the whole time, and that's just weird. Yeah, and that's how he shows up in the novel. Um, But that's because of dehydration. Speaking of which, and I did... I do kind of want to stick to this topic, so never mind. I'll get to the speaking of which. I was like, you're the one who keeps jumping around and then going, but let's not stray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on this topic. But the, the Tom Cullen character, I felt, was a very respectful take on the character. It's oh. so lovable, sweet, selfless. Like, he's a part of the mission. They do need to kind of tie him in from time to time. And the one time where they might have made a joke... The you know, Gump. at his expense, do it. The Forrest Gump joke? No, no. Yeah. Uh, when they say come back at the full moon and he says M-O-O-N, that spells full. You know, d- it doesn't feel like a mean joke at Tom's expense if, because, you know, Nick and everybody, they laugh with him at this little ironic twist. And he finally spelled moon where moon was correct. And he uses it for full. Yeah. That could, if done incorrectly, come off as a, oh, now we're just making fun of the mentally disabled. But it's played in this, no, that's one of our guys. Well, that particular group, which I think is nice for that character, also specifically kind of indicates that, yeah, maybe outwardly he doesn't seem like the best person Mm -hmm. to send because he does have lower cognitive functioning, but... Um, they themselves are like, no, like he'll surprise you. And then like, yeah. we kind of get that flashback of him saving, um, Nick's life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he has an understanding of like how to handle situations and like right and wrong. And like, yeah. um, it's the way that he's described in the book, which they don't show in the miniseries. He's got this tick where he just stares off into space and King elaborates that he's not capable of thinking and action at the same time is kind of how his disability is described and so sometimes he'll just go completely blank and almost catatonic and he goes and when he's doing that that's when he's doing like all the thinking that he needs to do so he'll just stare off into space for five minutes come back with a plan and then you know he's just not able to think through the steps as the steps are coming to him but he can think up the whole plan and then just do the whole plan yeah 
Yeah, his character was very well portrayed, though. And I do think it's interesting, um, now that you bring up the two of them kind of being, um, I guess, foils for each other. I mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of characters that are. Like, you had mentioned that you felt like Nick and Lloyd kind of were. And yeah. then I feel like Nadine and Franny definitely are in it, to the point where it almost feels like like they don't really imply that. But I feel like it subtly kind of puts you there where Nadine's carrying the Antichrist, so Franny is basically Mary. Yeah. carrying Jesus. <laughs> that's like, a good point. Yeah, they're like, Franny can't leave, like, Franny has to stay, and Franny's the one that's pregnant, and yeah. Yeah, she's not a virgin, but, yeah. like, there is no father figure, it's just Franny there with the baby, and it's, like, it's very, like, subtly kind of like, oh, she's the Virgin Mary I carrying. didn't catch the Mary reference, yeah. that's really interesting. So, like, I feel like he did that quite a bit with the characters, like, each character kind of mm-hmm. had an alternate, well, not each all of them, but several of them kind of had an alternate version of them. And then right down the middle is Howard, where, like, he's kind of on both sides. He's the same thing to both sides. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, you know, for want of a better word, like, useless, you know, entity who thinks that he's above all. But in both communities, Howard means nothing to Flag Anyone, yeah. outside of getting Nadine to Vegas. And he means nothing to the Boulder community outside of getting Franny to the Boulder community. So well, like, like he they just do operates welcome him. And he thinks he's God, but he's yeah. just this, you know, little actionable dude. I can't, and I don't buy, maybe it's better done in the book, I don't buy his little, like, coming to Jesus moment in the series, because mm-hmm. it, it just comes on so suddenly. He's like a creep the whole time, and then he turns into, like, a legit bad guy. And then it's like, just because you're dying, like, now you're repenting. Yeah, now you're, but, lo- now you're looking yeah. for forgiveness at some level. Yeah. So, like, I didn't... I don't know. I don't feel like if that's that was the goal, his character really got a true redemption arc. Because I was just mm-hmm. like, and you can go ahead and die. <laughs> yeah, and I've got, like, a couple of really good things. Granted, I, I, I hated Howard. I think that's what you're supposed to do. I don't think he's supposed to be, like, a forgivable character or, you know... He's your modern-day incel-type guy. Yeah, very um, much. But He's so ha- creepy. That actor knocked that role out of the fucking park. Yeah. <laughs> and I always think it's His interesting... Name. Sorry, go His ahead. Owen Teague plays nice. Howard. Did, did you Harold. look up what else he did? I tried. There weren't, wasn't a whole lot that I knew for a lot of these guys. But I always think it's interesting when you run into characters or actors. He was in, he was in It. Sorry. He was one of the bullies. Oh, nice. Um, I always think it's interesting whenever you run into actors that can pull that off so well. Like, he is just, like, legit creepy. And I feel like if you just met him randomly and he was being a normal person and not, like, acting mm-hmm. that role, he probably wouldn't look creepy. Like, he's got a bit of a baby face and, yeah, like, he'd probably look pretty normal. But he, like, is the epitome of creepy. And then the kid that did uh, the Bates Motel series, like, mm-hmm. the same. Like, Macaulay Culkin and The Good Son. And, I don't know, we've, like, watched a lot of movies where I was like... You wouldn't think you'd be so creepy, but you were fucking creepy. You just widen your eyes a little bit, pale the skin, and depending on the outfit, if you just give that blank unblink, you know. The dude in the original Psycho, they purposely wanted to cast a pretty boy, basically, to play that role, and yeah. I don't know. Some people just tap into that inner creepy aura and it's like put that away <laughs> it's gone it's gross it's it, 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 it seems too natural tuck that back in there <laughs> but yeah i really wanted to give that dude the props where the props were deserved the character was pretty much you know what i remember from the book 
where he's, you know, desperately in love with Franny because she's the last woman on earth and he's, you know, a virgin and, you know, driven by lust. Uh, Nadine uses that to her advantage to turn him from this, you took my girlfriend to let's blow up the committee level of obsession. Um, Is the prostitute? Well, I guess I shouldn't say she's a prostitute. I don't know that she's a prostitute. She comes across like she might be a prostitute. Is the chick that runs into the guitarist, like, that commits suicide later, like, more pivotal in the story? Like, she... The one that runs into Larry? Yeah, the one that, like, takes all the pills while they're under the bridge. She wasn't even in the thing, was she? Yeah, she was in the... She was in the miniseries? I don't really remember her. Remember, she's she's the one that the group says they're going to rape, and then they both go down into the sewers... That's right. Uh, hers is uh, integral to get Larry closer to the a lot of the other characters. Um, she, if I remember correctly, he meets her in a park in New York, which yes. we, yeah. Um, and then she kills herself. Like, they're kind of developing a relationship together, and they're camping, so they bust into all these camping stores and stuff like that. And then one morning he wakes up and they're overlooking this town and uh, he realizes it's the 4th of July. So like he gets out of the tent butt-ass naked and he's like screaming the national anthem, you know, into the sky to try to make her laugh. And then like he turns around and she's dead in the tent. She overdosed herself. And he has, there's a lot of Larry that did not go into the miniseries, which was shocking because he's one of the main guys. Um, but there's a lot of he's accused of being a taker and never a giver, which is what makes his role in the end so pivotal. It gives it all, you know, for whatever reason, uh, which we can <laughs> get into later. But uh, he felt that, you know, she killed herself because he was a taker and never a giver. Like she felt unheard and so committed suicide rather than stay by his side. Uh, as the apocalypse drummed on. That's sad. Yeah. She plays a pretty big role in his psyche as far as how he deals with Which is interesting, because I would say the way they're portrayed, she seems more like the taker. Like, she's just very Mm -hmm. erratic and, like, irrational. Yeah. Like, in the series. I can't remember if she was a prostitute, but yeah. She She came across like one. I don't know if she was or not. She plays a big role for, like, the first quarter of the, you know, doorstopper that is the novel. (laughs) (laughs) Does uh, Nadine try to get Larry to have sex with her in the book? I can't remember that. I know Nadine's like, oh yeah. To try to avoid. Yeah, yeah. She definitely tries that and he definitely shoots her down because he's involved with uh, one of the other women. Hmm. Pacing? Let me see if I can find some more good stuff because I know this. <laughs> um, All right, is pacing bad stuff? Are we about to get Pacing's really bad. Are, are we treating um, this like a two star? No, no, no. Was... No, I just know that I'm going to go off on that. And I, I <laughs> <laughs> um, how good is the chemistry between Nick, who's played by Henry Zaga, and the guy Tom Cullen? Really, like beautiful. <laughs> for how little the two of their characters are really honestly together, yeah, really well done. And the guy that played Nick did a really good job too, um, mm-hmm. for not being like a huge, huge part of the series. Um, yeah, which he's huge in the book, so yeah. they downplayed him again. You know, here just for sake of we have to go to Vegas, but but especially for being a character that. Um, the actor doesn't really at all, like, one time in the entire show get to speak. In the um, dream sequence. 
Yeah, for being an actor who doesn't have the ability to speak or really contribute much other than, like, his ability to portray emotions Mm -hmm. through his performance. Um, Yeah, like, pretty impressive. And, yeah, to be able to form that kind of connection between two characters who can't talk to each other and he doesn't know his name until later on. it's like an entire one of the whole episodes is, you know, Nick not being able to speak, Tom not being able to read. And then, like, I love how they dealt with that disability as well. Like, if we, I, I don't want to be social justice warrior person, you know, pat on the back for doing everything great. But we do have... A deaf mute. <laughs> they use the sign language. They utilize that throughout things. They use his notepad. So, like, he feels like he has a voice. I don't know sign language. So, you know. It, I'd like that Franny did know sign language. That yeah. was a nice little, like, where someone else could kind of be his voice in the conversation, which, I mean, he can lip read, but I don't know. That was kind of neat that she could, like, subtly be, like, signing to him Mm -hmm. as she's talking to other people in the group just so he's still involved in the conversation. Yeah, it kept him feeling, you know, like on an even playing field. He's a deaf mute with one eyeball, and he could steal a scene. Does Franny sign in the book? Do you remember? I can't remember if she signs. I know that he has a notepad, and he goes fucking everywhere with his notepad, and they make a big deal of, like, when he's pissed off that he just sits there and scribbles out whole paragraphs. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, it's just like, yes, no, maybe, check, X. I really liked the scene in this series. That part was really well done where Tom finally learns that his name is Nick. Cause the mm-hmm. chick in the warehouse like says his name's like, I'm a weetard or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a retard is basically what she's trying mm-hmm. to tell Tom his name is and like he can read her lips and he gets really mad and he's like no like tell yeah. her what my name Quit is fucking with my friend <laughs> yeah and then whenever Tom finally knows what it is he goes my friend Nick <laughs> it's really cute <laughs> the, the, I, I, I could live talking just about the chemistry between the two of them but in the novel they have a very similar thing Nick kind of just stumbles upon Tom as he's cutting through this town and uh, they have a lot of really beautiful moments. But one of my favorites is Tom finds this, um, like, toy gas station where you can, like, drive the little die-cast cars through and, like, fill them up, you know, and then drive them around this, this tiny gas station thing. And Tom is infatuated with this idea of one day being the guy who gets to pump your gas. And he's just, like, now he's got a tiny version of it in this new world. And he's constantly trying to talk with Nick about it, but Nick's kind of frustrated with him because he doesn't understand exactly what's going on initially. And he starts loading things up so that Nick can just leave Tom, you know, more or less in the dust. But they bond together inside of the town, and then they get everything ready to roll, and Tom's pretty much like, can I bring my gas station? And then, like, Nick has this first moment with him. He was like, yeah, you just bring the gas station. And so, like, when we reintroduce Tom a few times in the novel he'll just kind of be off in the corner playing with his gas station toy and it's like this symbol of like him being in charge of something while Nick's literally in charge of everything it makes a a cute little there's a bit of innocence too where Mm -hmm. he's like I'm just over here with my toy 10 on gas 3 Woo! yeah I, I, I mean I don't know what anybody's acting career is looking like post COVID but yeah I, I hope the guy that plays Tom goes on to do like big big yeah, things yeah stole the whole TV series to be honest and then my last good and then we can talk about the major pain that is the pacing um, 
I loved the courtroom sequence. It is not in the book. <laughs> that scene never happens. The one where um, Glenn dies. The one where Glenn dies. Um, I loved this concept of the kangaroo court. Dad's not around. The kids will play type thing. In the novel, they're in like a row of jail cells, and Glenn starts down talking Lloyd. And the dark man orders Lloyd to shoot him. Lloyd hesitates and then eventually does gun him down. But the dark man gets to see the hesitation. And we get those basic steps, you know, of that scene. But we get to do it in a larger way inside of the courtroom. But having not read the book, what did you make of the courtroom scene? Am I blowing it out because I'm familiar with the original? Um... I don't know. I don't love, which I, I think that's just a part of that community, I don't love how incredibly eccentric mm-hmm. some of the pivotal characters of Vegas are. Did like the choice for the painted <clears throat> scales under each eye. Yeah, though. and like some of them dress almost like it's like Hunger Games. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a bit over the top. And like, I get maybe if you came from poverty and you have all this stuff and you can raid people's homes, maybe if you come across elaborate coats and clothes and stuff, like especially if you're living in Vegas, those might be things that you're attracted to because you Mm -hmm. never had that before. But yeah, it almost feels a bit Hunger Gamesy because like the people are dressed a bit absurd and then they're like sacrificing prisoners to the death and like all this stuff. Um, So I don't love the way some of their characters act, but I do think... It kind of reminded me of Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do think if... In the book, those three characters don't really serve any purpose other than they just go there and die. It is nice that they had a moment where they were sowing doubt into his community. Because it, mm-hmm. it is a bit frustrating that it's like they were specifically told there to go by what we're supposed to consider the voice of God to basically just die. And, like, my yeah. assumption would be that is, like, Jesus's journey. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's three of them. Yeah, so it's sent to be executed. Yeah, so it's a bit. <clears throat> I don't know. It's a bit on the nose, biblically. Biblically, if um, that's kind of supposed to be the correlation there, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, like Jesus went and suffered and ultimately died and yeah, did it, you know, change things for the better? Did you know it have any effect? So like, I get it to some extent, but like, I don't know. As like. A person who's writing like a work of fiction, I'm like, can they have some kind of a purpose where they're making yeah. some kind of an action in the story count? Because otherwise, it is just them going there to die. So like, Glenn kind of putting that doubt in Lloyd is nice to see because Lloyd does eventually stand up to him. Mm-hmm. And he ends up dying also anyway, so it doesn't really matter that he stands up to him. But and then the other two characters, which we haven't watched the finale yet, but the other two characters kind of being like, you know. I stand with God. I, I yeah. don't fear you. I don't fear this moment. I don't get fear death. Get a nice or little rally. Yeah, and you get like two people in the crowd that are like, "Yeah, <laughs> this is wrong." Like this is le- bad. We shouldn't yeah. be doing this. At least gives you like a little bit of like, okay, well they served a purpose, but then those people also die. So it's like, blind <laughs> so sacrifice in the courtroom is ultimately for naught. But yeah. I liked it, like in um, like a like. Shakespearean play level type way where he's just sitting there staring at him and he's like, I'm not afraid of you. Shoot me. <laughs> I am. And I 
To be honest, if I had to go out some way in that community, I'd be like, yes, please do shoot me. Yeah. It's like, come on down. Come on down. I did like that scene. But. In closing, the main issue here, I feel, is Kristen saw the 1994 miniseries. A long time ago. And I recently listened to the audiobook. So we're familiar, <clears throat> at least at certain levels, with the plot, the characters, and what's happening here. Mm -hmm. um, if you've never done any of the other ones, I don't know if you could comprehend what's happening for at least the first three episodes. Yeah. I think eventually you get to a point where you can kind of catch up, but the part where they're establishing backstory like, is constantly jumping time, like... Mm -hmm aggressively in a non-linear way. Every time yeah. a new character is introduced. And well, we go back to other characters at different stages too. So like you introduce a character supposedly at their introduction and then suddenly we're a year into the future with an entirely different character and then we go back to that original character and now we're six months in the past instead of yeah. all the way back to their beginning and then we're in the future and then we're all the way back to their <laughs> beginning. So it's just like, it's not even like Here's the character, and now we're going to time jump forward. We time jump forward and back and forward and back yeah. and forward and back. So, yeah, impossible to keep up and it, with. <laughs> it kills all of the potential tension. Like, the pilot episode, in my opinion, should have been the spread of the pandemic. And maybe it's a choice because 2020, I don't know if you know what happened back then, but pandemic. <laughs> <coughs> maybe they didn't want to, you know, do that. But I think episode one is just, here's the spread. Here's the soldier who fled his post, who crashes into the gas station in front of Stu. You know, here's how Tom dealt with it, you know, in his stages. Here's Nick helping with the prisoners after losing his eye and then yeah, blah, blah, blah. we jump forward and see... When you start in the middle, like you, you, you pull the teeth out of, to use that expression twice in one episode, both the pandemic and any initial threat that they may have had. It's like, I know they're going to live. When the lady yeah. goes to shoot him, I know he doesn't die because he's alive in the future. Yeah, you time jump forward and we see most of the pivotal characters in the community in Boulder. And then we go back in time and put them in situations that are a bit like, ooh, what's going to happen here? But it's like, I've already seen them in the Boulder community. Yeah. So. They're going to live. Yeah. When Howard's getting chased around, or Harold, I keep calling him Howard, when Harold's getting chased around by the bullies, you know, it's like, I, I don't, they're not going to beat him to you, Or you have that moment where they meet the trucker dude that's really creepy, mm -hmm. but we've already seen both Franny and Harold in the Boulder community. Yeah. So it's like, well, I know... The trucker dude's going to die. Yeah, they're going to fuck him up. It's just a matter of who all survives the situation that wasn't in that initial shot. Yeah. And it is incredibly frustrating because this thing is dead in the water because of editing. You could recut this. Like, if you and I had all uh, of this... I don't every... think you can blame it on editing. It was probably planned to be shot that way. Yeah, <laughs> but I think if, like, you and I sat down with just the scenes, you know, for the entire thing... It's just a matter of lining those scenes up. And I know, you know, because of the article, that the director did want it done this way, where you start and jump back. But I don't think that's fair to a new audience. Like, you're making this in 2020 because the last time you tried to make this was 26 years ago. So you might introduce a brand new, you know, generation of kids to a story that they've never seen or heard. You're robbing them 
so much. It would be like with it, like if, you know, we had to do like a major flashback to Georgie getting killed in the sewer. You know, well, I don't mind. <laughs> or if they skip that all together. I don't mind strategic jump forwards. Like we jumped forward with Harold being on the body crew, mm-hmm. and then that section he's alone with new characters we've never met before. And That's he's no, when it works. Yeah, and he's no longer with Franny. So then you get this moment of like, oh, did Franny? Die? Did they get separated? What so, like, compound is he at? Because yeah. it's dark and smoky. Yeah, yeah, and we don't necessarily establish that he's in Boulder. Like he's with this like weird group and like this construction looking site. So like I don't mind strategic jumps, but it is a weird choice to like jump forward and see all of the main characters like safe and sound together yeah. and then go backwards and put them in situations that jeopardize their safety. Yeah, it's like is Stu gonna get killed by the guy who drives into the gas station or is that house do initially came into it in you know texas east texas <laughs> yeah um and i haven't seen the original series in a very long time in the original series i'm sure it was quite different but yeah there were like moments where i was like wait who is this and where are we and mm-hmm. how much time has happened and are we back in time now <laughs> yeah and all that time spent jumping around we missed two key things we missed the initial spread and the shutting down of society, everybody dies. And then we miss, and I, it was my least favorite part of the novel, so the minutes. Um, but we miss the reestablishing of Boulder. So, like, when we get to Boulder, it's already running. They're about to turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. But we don't get outside of, you know, Harold with the... Um, the body crews, we don't get the bodies being pulled out of the houses and the houses being reestablished so that they can build the community. We don't get how their food supply line, you know, runs to feed the community. We don't get, there's an important scene where they're trying to figure out if they need cops or if they don't need cops. And a guy gets hammered and like drives his car into a shop window or some shit like that. And then they're all like, well, we can't arrest him. There's no laws. So we need to establish some sense of order. And all that time jumping around, you could have had some brilliant scenes just with the committee, you know, and maybe that wouldn't have played. Maybe people don't really have the attention span to be able to keep up with the quote-unquote minutes because it, it is mind-numbing in the book. Um, I mean, I, I could see But one or two committee meetings, you know, yeah. just to be like, okay, so how are we planning on getting the power back on instead of starting with, well, we need to go turn all the power off because we got the grid running and we want to flick it without blowing up half the town. Yeah. And I could see um, realistically needing to condense quite a bit of it down because, I mean, how much of that are people really yeah. going to want to watch? But... I feel like jumping over um, this initial spread almost makes the situation not really seem all that dire. Like, we see um, Harold coming up to Franny while she's in the middle of trying to bury her dad, and the entire town is dead at that point. And neither of them seem terribly bothered by the fact that the entire town is dead. Yeah. And then, like, when we jump forward and everybody's in Boulder together, like Stu and Franny, and I, I can't remember a couple of the other characters getting coffee from a coffee truck and i'm like is there realistically a coffee truck in existence after all this something we set up yeah where is columbia still sending beans <laughs> yeah it's like where are you getting these supplies like are you farming for your food like eventually the supplies run dry so it's like yeah are do you foraging? grow coffee beans like 
<laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. yeah, and it just almost makes it seem like <laughs> it never happened at all. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other things that are wrong with it. Um, they kept Mother Abigail just outside of Boulder as opposed to putting her in like North Dakota where you get a lot more desolation so you kind of see a lot more of the spread. I think it was in the Dakotas. I don't remember. Um, yeah. Does she travel to Boulder also? Yeah, they get her. They get her all the way back and then she disappears. And they kind of included that in the miniseries. Or like as they're establishing everything, she like goes to die. Like she, you know, I'm just going to walk off back to my fucking farm. And if I die on the way there, I die on the way there. Why does she and then she comes back because they're building the committee. And that's when the bomb goes off as they're bringing her back. So basically they're having a huge committee meeting when the bomb is set to go off. But they find Mother Abigail, and they're bringing her back. So almost everybody leaves that community center except for, like, ten people, Nick being one of those people. And the bomb goes off, and they're basically saved because Mother Abigail came back at that particular time. It seems weird for her to just leave, though. Yeah. Well, I think she just left to die because she's, like, 120 in the novel. (laughs) She's like, please just let me go. But, I mean, we're going to watch the last episode. Um... I read some articles today about the last episode. Have you I read... spoiled it for yourself? No, I haven't spoiled it for yeah. myself. Um, King wrote the final episode. Yeah. Apparently as a mission because he didn't like the way that he ended the novel itself. I wonder if those two characters do live because they're underwater then. That would be hilarious and they better not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can survive an atomic bomb by being in a pool. <laughs> That's a survival strategy we should all know about. Water immediately evaporates along with you and everybody around you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so King wrote the final episode um, because he didn't like the way that he ended the novel. So, the way that the novel ends. All right, Jax, I know I'm terribly entertaining. (laughs) The way that the novel ends is that after a long journey, they make it back to the Boulder community. There's all these conversations about where they're going to move if and when, you know, the baby is born. And then they move to Maine. Of course they do. the book ends. Why would you move to Maine? Because it's Stephen King. He did a lot of coke in the 70s. I mean, you can fish, I guess, in Maine, but still. (laughs) Everything has to go to Maine. It's Stephen King. And it it does. Especially if you're all the way in Colorado. Like, go to California. It does end on a really dumb note. Well, if they go to California, then they got to head west and walk right through all the nuclear radiation. Oh, sure. Go to Florida. <laughs> Fuck off. Go to Texas. <laughs> Texas is closer. Go back to East Texas, East Texas. <laughs> but, um, uh, and then it just kind of ends. What, what's the dumb note it ends on? Do what? What's the dumb note it ends on? They move to Maine. That's it? Yeah. It's just they move to Maine. And... Yeah, they start to see that the community's establishing a lot of the old ways where they, they build so up all these other committees. They're going to be hyper-religious in Maine. They're just going to go move to the woods and I guess go all the way back to Colorado if they want to be around civilization again. Then the book ends. In the extended version, the Dark Man awakens on some island with uh, tribesmen that are on it and he levitates in front of them and becomes their god. Yeah, that's dumb. So we'll see what happens with the final episode of The Stand. But apparently it is King's attempt to repair the past. What he should have done is written every episode 
<laughs> of the 2020 stand and uh, not let them do this to his beautiful, beautiful baby. Minus know. the last 300 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, though. Sometimes it's nice to have a, a fresh perspective on it. Um, but yeah, they could have maybe done two seasons and spent a bit more time on it. I mean, I think that's what you have to do. I mean, people complain a lot about a lot of his adaptations. The one incredible adaptation is the one he doesn't like. <laughs> the <laughs> Fucking Shining. Kubrick's Shining. Yeah. Um, it's just so weird. The first Pet so Cemetery well is phenomenal, but so many of the times that people just try to take what he wrote and make it visual. Christine was better than I thought it would be, Christine though. was a lot better. I mean, I it definitely it got cheesy towards the end, but it was better than I expected it The to original be. Carrie is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, I'm not shitting on every adaptation of every King thing. I've still not seen the 94. Maybe that's perfect. No. But I think for The Stand... Like you There's almost like cheesy need, CGI in the original one. Yeah, like you almost need three or four seasons of season one. The pandemic spreads. That's twelve episodes uh, of the pandemic I think spreading. That'd be too much. Well, not just the spreading, but the individual characters and their initial reaction to the spread. I feel like you could do it in like three or four episodes. I don't think you, you need think? a whole season. How long before Maybe you a episode a character? How many seasons before we establish? Boulder, the way that we are introduced to Boulder. Is that the beginning of season end, three? No, I think you end season one with the people that arrive first arriving, and then you pick up season two with... The establishment of the Boulder yeah. community and the Vegas community. Yeah, so I think maybe, what are there, like five main characters? You do five opening episodes of the spread, and each character kind of gets their episode. And then you end the first season with them starting to arrive. Like first meeting each other? Or just first getting to Boulder? Like, hey, they come over the mountain, wide yeah, shot of Boulder, and then yeah. cut to black. And so, that's the end of the season, yeah. Yeah. And then season two, is that all just establishing Boulder and the Vegas community? Maybe a little bit of interaction with the first Pilgrim group? I think you end season two with... Um, Mother Abigail's death and the group going to Vegas. The bomb going off is yeah. the finale for season two. And yeah. then season three is the journey to Vegas, the events of Vegas, and the return to Boulder. Yeah. I think that's how I'd do it. That's how I'd do it, too. Ten, ten episodes or twelve episode seasons? Uh, probably ten. Ten episode yeah. seasons. One of these days, guys. One of these days. If it's not done exactly like that, I guess I'm writing a version of the stand for 2040 <laughs> i love you sweetheart and i love you guys i'm gonna go make uh peanut what's it called it's some kind of peanut noodle thing i don't know i'm making japanese food all right let's go <laughs>